0: I should just quit. Ooh. Like I said, I should just just stop there really, shouldn't I? <laughs> but I'm not gonna. <laughs> Good, morning. Good, morning. Good morning. Hmm. hmm. <sighs> I've got a big question for you this morning. Who are you? Who are you? Identify yourself. You know there's been times in the past where, where I've um, been about to do something that I'm not entirely confident and, and somehow, I don't know how she, she um, discerns this, but Beth can tell when I'm not entirely confident and she encourages me, um, it's just a thing she does, uh, and one of the things Beth said, says to me is, just be yourself, just be yourself, Beth's my wife by the way, <laughs> <laughs> Just. Just be yourself. And there have been times where I haven't really got what that means. Or maybe um, I'm so wound up by uh, something I've got to do, like an interview, you know, I hate interviews, Um, that I'll I'll, I'll react negatively to that advice or be a bit sarcastic perhaps and say, well, you know, I don't want to just be myself. That won't get me the job. What I want to be is somebody else, somebody a bit better than me. Then I'll get the job." Um, or, you know, what, what do you mean, just be myself? Um, and if I'm honest, in the past, I've questioned the logic of just be yourself because maybe I haven't really known who myself is. And until you know who yourself is, you can't just be yourself, can you? Um, I'm learning to just be myself. I'm learning to just be myself, and that has a lot to do with knowing who you are in how God sees you. Not only how God sees you, but how God names you, how God identifies you, how, how God uh, communes with you. I'm learning to be myself in all of those things. I'm a slow learner though, you know, I'm I, uh, definitely on a journey with that. Hmm. So, we're starting a series on um, identity and purpose, and, um, yeah, I want, I want you to think about who you are this morning. I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, starting from verse 15. I'm reading from the message version, just because I can <laughs> and it reads, This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike What's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are. Father and children. God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is. And we know who we are. Father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us. An unbelievable inheritance. Hmm. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with Him, then we're certainly going to go through yeah. the good times with Him. Hmm. Hmm. I've grown up hearing the expression, you're going to get what's coming to you, and, fe- <laughs> and feeling a bit nervous about that. And it's great to say, you're going to get what's coming to you, and have people like Liz who go, yes, come on. Isn't that great? That's because we know who we are, don't we? And more importantly, I would say we know that what we are and what we've been on this earth um, is is wiped clean through the grace of God. So we can hear God say, you're gonna get what's coming to you, (laughs) and we can celebrate that for you. (laughs) Few indeed. I love the expression "adventurously expectant." It reminds me of um, my kids growing up. Half of you won't won't know my kids. There's some of them. Some of them sounds like I've got millions. <laughs> I've got three three boys. So the oldest is Reuben. Reuben Joshua. Our middle son, who features more heavily on these photos. There's Louis. Louis Isaac. And our youngest son is Joseph, Joseph Nathaniel, or Joey, as we call him. Um, I particularly featured Louis this morning because um, of the meaning of his name. And I think that's significant. Uh, as I've been studying, uh, it's become very significant. And also, Louis's is my middle son. And you know, us middle children, we don't get much of a feature in life. So... <laughs> You know, I'm I'm standing for the for the middle children today. I, I'm the second oldest of eight kids, so you know there's a big middle in my family. <laughs> hmm. My kids grew up with this adventurous expectation. Okay, at some point you've got to stop looking at the photos and listen to me, all right? <laughs> my kids grew up with adventurous expectation, and. Uh, in, particularly in, in weeks like the week we've just had, you know, half terms, summer holidays, every morning they would say, what we're doing today, what we're doing today? Hmm. They're in their late teens now, and uh, we don't get many questions from them these days. <laughs> <laughs> Louis might have the occasional what's for tea, you know, but um, they grew up with this adventurous expectation that every day would be an adventure. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. And, you know, most often, every day was an adventure growing up with my boys. <laughs> most often, we, we would hop in the car and they would just get in the car without saying, what we're doing, where we're going, why we're getting in the car. Nowadays, I can't get them in the car without a really good reason, you know. <laughs> but back, back in the day, we'd just say, right, come on, get in the car, and we'd be halfway up the A1 before any one of them would say, uh, where, where are we going, you know? Sometimes, we didn't know where we were going. We were just going out, <laughs> out of the house. <laughs> and they would most often uh, jump out of the car at the slightest opportunity, usually when it stopped. That's uh, <laughs> one of the things I taught them. And uh, they would know what to do. If we went into uh, like the side of a mountain, side of a hill, a river valley, the the beach, they would know what to do. Do do you know what I mean? Kids know what to do when you get to the beach, don't they? They're like, right, sand, sea, you know, and they they just get on with it. Our kids became very good at just getting on with it and having adventures. They knew how to build a dam in a river out of rocks, you know. They knew how to climb a tree. They knew, because I taught them very, very carefully, they knew how to find adders in the long grass in the (laughs) cheviots. And there's been some times where we've stood, and we know where to find adders in the GVs. Um And we've stood, sometimes with bare feet, and adders have kind of slithered past, and they've been like a foot away from us. Um, but, but my boys know how to, how to deal with that. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's good training, I think. <laughs> so that, that what's next, Papa, I really, I really get because I've heard it so many times from my kids. Hmm. They don't call me Papa, though, but. <laughs> but... you know, Papa, Dada, Baba, Abba. Actually, in the Bible, it says, call me Abba, doesn't it? Abba. And Abba and Dada and Dad and Pop and Papa they're all the same. They're the earliest utterances from, from babies, aren't they? Actually, usually the earliest utterance is, is a kind of a ma, 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 ma. That sort of thing. Usually means that the baby has seen, well, has seen a boob and wants feeding. And you go, ma, 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 ma. You know that, ma, ma. And then, the, sorry. Stick to the script. Okay. The point is, the point is brethren... The point is that that gets interpreted by an excited mum, doesn't it? As, she said, mum, she said, mum, and the baby's going, mum, 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 mum. The baby's probably thinking, I'm not saying, mum, I'm just saying, get it over here, quick. And then, so that's usually the first utterance of a baby, isn't it? And we identify that as a parent, we say, mum, mum, that's right, mum, mum, mum. And eventually, the child starts saying, mum, all right? And I, I think it comes from that kind of hunger instinct, actually. It's that ma, ma, ma. Uh, and and the, the second noise, perhaps, is, is more of a ba, 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 da, da, da. And then the dad would go, oh, She said, Dad! He said... You know, and that excitement that I remember. The point is, when you hear those sounds that instinctively come from a baby, you, you mark them, don't you? You say, You've just said, Dad. You've just said, Mum. Even, even if the child wasn't even thinking that, you know, you kind of say that that noise you made is, is what, what I am, that's my name, and there's that contact. It says in Romans, God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We do that as parents with our children, don't we? The amount of times as a dad, I would regularly connect, commune even, with with each individual child of mine, and tell them and show them love and uh, and affirm their identity, you know? There's that affirmation that you give to your kids that says, I know you uniquely, I know you individually. You know, yes, I've got three children, yes, I've got eight children, but I know you as an individual, and I know this about you, positive affirmation. I know this about you encouragement you know I know this about you building your confidence and self-esteem that's that's kind of how you do it as a loving parent isn't it I always made sure that I recognised my children as individuals because I knew deep down that that was important there's something about that that is reflected in how God affirms us you see If we were just one of a big kind of sea of people like ants and god loved us yes but loved us collectively as all of his his creation all of his people i think we would have a very different relationship with god wouldn't we you know we would still get together like this because there are lots of us so god will notice us more We'll sing a bit louder so God will notice us more, but it would be down to our kind of collective noise making and attention seeking behavior. Actually, that's not how God loves us, all right? That's maybe how a teacher responds to a class of children, but it's not how a parent responds to their children. It doesn't matter how many kids you've got, you respond to them and affirm them individually. How does that work? If you have lots of kids, but only one heart, only one kind of um, amount of love to give, I think most parents will know the answer to that. And it's, it doesn't really have an explanation, but you will have experienced, I'm sure, when you have your children, um, and those of you who have just recently had children, you know, Cayum and Lydia, um, what I remember, particularly the first time we had a child, Reuben, who's now 19. I nearly forgot his age, that's how old he is. Uh, we visited him yesterday at university. That, was, that made me feel ancient, to be honest. He barely let us in the halls of residence. We were so embarrassingly old. <laughs> he had to sneak us in. Anyway, um, the, when he was born, I was a little bit anxious, a little bit worried about having our first child for lots of reasons. Um, you know, I was only 12 years old at the time, that was, that was quite worrying for lots of reasons. Um, but one reason that really concerned me was that I had 100% of me loved my wife. 100% of my being loved my wife. So, in my kind of weird, perhaps male logic, my feeling was, how can we have another member of our family um, come into our household, how can I be expected to divide that love that I have for my wife you know, amongst my wife and my child? How does that work? It doesn't seem right that I should divide the love I have between two people. Have you ever felt like that as, a, as an expectant parent? The amazing thing is, as soon as Reuben was born, I experienced inside, I can't put it any other way than than inside of me, I experienced something opening up. What it was, was a a new capacity to love somebody else. Has anyone else ever felt that? It's quite profound, but you you feel, you know, you you go from feeling that you have to divide your love to feeling, actually, I've now grown a new Love, a new capacity to love somebody else, uh, it's amazing. And, and it's, I've only experienced it when, when we've had child after child. I felt it the same with, with Louis when he was born, and I felt it the same with Joey when he was born, which was a big relief, because I wasn't particularly expecting Joey. <laughs> 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 so once I got over the shock, uh, which took me about three years to get over, <laughs> Thankfully, thank God, I had the same capacity that grew inside me to love another person, 100%. You see, that's why, it's, that's why it doesn't make sense logically. You know, I 100% in, with everything I've got love my wife, yet I also 100% with everything I've got love my oldest son, my middle son, my youngest son. That's 400%. You know, that's like a footballer giving an interview, isn't it? You know, well, I gave 150%. As a maths advisor, I object to that. That's bad maths. It's bad maths, but it's great love, isn't it? I love you 400%, family. God loves you in the same way. He doesn't divide his love amongst us. You're not a quotient of his love. He loves you with 100% of himself, and he loves 100% of you, and actually, um, the person sitting next to you, he does the same for them, but uniquely and individually, so he's not dividing it. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. But it doesn't make sense, and, and actually, maybe we're not, we're not to really try, try and reason that and understand it, you know, um, maybe we're we could just sit back happy that it's something really mystical and again it's something we can't really fathom about God Um, and that's okay that's okay when I when I affirm my children um, I see how important it is to do that firsthand rather than tell somebody else to tell my children that I love them and I think they're great I mean, that'd be weird if I, my children grew up, and occasionally I said to Beth, "Oh, I'll just pass on the message to Reuben that I, th- I think he's doing a great job there, sterling job of doing the dishes." You know, that kind of Victorian father, perhaps. I know that the best way to tell somebody you love them is firsthand, isn't it? Um, and yet, the amount of times I hear from somebody else what God thinks of me—now, I'm not knocking that. You know, I love that affirmation. But it doesn't beat hearing it straight from God. Both, I think, are important, but don't rely on other people to, to affirm your identity of, of who you are in God. You know If you haven't heard something from God to do with who you are and what He thinks of you recently or lately or ever, guess what? You, you, can, you can ask him now, you can ask him this morning, you can ask him today. And guess what? He might even tell you something. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut my teach a bit short today, because I want to give you some time to do that. You know, it's, it's all very well me saying, you can do that, and then we get to 12 o'clock, the kids come in, coffee, there's cake all over the carpet, and we go home. I'm gonna, (laughs) just a little dig there. Um, I'm gonna give you some time, I'm gonna give you some time to do that. (laughs) Hmm, 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 hmm. You know, when I said to you, identify yourself, it kind of brought to mind, when I was thinking about this, identity. It brought to mind, um, when I was young, back in the 70s, I used to, um, um, before things like internet and TV and bicycles were invented, <laughs> I used to read these little comics called Commando Comics. And I think it's mostly boys that will, that will get this, I'm saying Mike Nod. Commando Comics, were all about the, the First World War, the Second World War, and they, were usually, they usually had kind of brilliant British heroes, and the, so everyone else was the enemy, and it was great, you know. And, and they were all kind of blood and thunder, uh, glory and honor. And, um, and occasionally, one of the good guys used to get captured by the, the baddies, and they were usually kind of put under a lamp to be interrogated and forced to reveal secrets and stuff. And the only thing they knew that they could reveal was their name, rank, and serial number. Yes, name, rank, and serial number. Um, At the time, I probably didn't really know what that meant, but there's something quite profound about that, actually. If I was to ask you to identify yourself, your heavenly identity, your, 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 your real, deep identity, You know, what is the significance of your name, first of all? What does God call you? What do you call yourself? Do you even like your own name? Rank. How do you rank in the kingdom of heaven? How do you rank? You know, um, where are you? Do you see um, our approach to heaven as kind of like a pyramid scheme? And some people are above you, some people are below you. Where do you rank? And serial number, that's what... Um, distinctly, uniquely identifies a soldier. Yeah, They'll have a number that nobody else has. You have an identity, uh, a, a, a serial number, if yeah. you like. It's not a number, but you have something about you. No, that's not true. You have everything about you that is entirely unique. Yeah, I want to tell you that this morning because maybe you need to hear it. Okay, so let's go back to name. Your name may be really significant. I'm not saying everybody's name is really significant in terms of, you know, sometimes I see children named after somebody else, like a celebrity, or, um, and and sometimes people don't even know the meanings of their names. But do you know the meaning of your name? My name means powerful leader. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. (laughs) But for most of my life, I've struggled with that, actually. Knowing the meaning of my name has not made me a happy boy. Because that's like, that's a massive thing, isn't it? That's a big weight on my shoulders. And, and particularly when, as a child, I was told that, oh, you, why do you always follow and never lead? You'll never be a leader, you're always a follower. And I had that put on me time and time again as a child. Um, and I started to believe that. Now, guess what I believe? I believe that, yes, I've always been a follower, and that potentially is what gonna, it, what's gonna make me a leader. Do you see what I mean? So it's not either or. You're either a follower or a leader. If you look at the great leaders in our society, in our world, they were followers. Even Jesus showed us how to be a follower, didn't he? He said, I do nothing except that which I see my father doing. He was a follower, and he taught us how to be a follower. So don't feel ashamed about being a follower, you know. Well, maybe I should feel a bit ashamed of some of the things I used to follow kids into. But that's another story for another time. <laughs> hmm. The point is, I, I'm a lot more comfortable with my name. Now I know that, that the times I've followed people, you know, I've spent years following people like Peter Wigglesworth and Alan, because they're great role models, seriously. And I feel okay about that. So this name that means powerful leader is not such a weight on my shoulders anymore actually. I'm not owning it in a negative way, in a burdensome way. So think about your name. If you're not, and I think there are some people here today that are not entirely comfortable with their their own name, it could be even more so that your name is deeply significant, and that's why you're not comfortable with it, because it kind of weighs heavily on you. I just want to set you free from that today. I want to set you free by encouraging you to approach god with that and ask god father what do you call me what do you say i am there's been times in history and in the bible history where 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 god has slightly changed somebody's name or renamed somebody or called somebody something that they weren't expected to be called god does place a big significance on, on names It says in Isaiah, see, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. Hmm. It says in Jeremiah, for we are God's masterpiece created in the Messiah Jesus to perform good actions that God prepared long ago to be our way of life. You as a creation are God's masterpiece says in Proverbs, a good name is more desirable than great riches. Only a good name. None of those bad names. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Do you have a good name? I think we've over, over time, we've kind of got rid of most of the bad names, the names that don't mean kind of wonderful leader or, you know, super husband or, you know, great horse rider. <laughs> the names that, you know, would mean something a bit more negative tend to, tend to become extinct, don't they? Um, also, the names that are named after people that have done great atrocities, they, they tend to fade away. You know, there aren't many adults I, I meet every day, for example. And I don't meet many people these days whose name means, I don't know, um, constantly sarcastic or cruel to woodland creatures. You know, you don't meet people... (laughs) (laughs) You don't meet people with names that mean negative things because they tend to just die out and not... (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. 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 It is. is. Squirrel hater. But you could have owned the name, Alan. Just get the grey ones, though. I hate those (laughs) greys. Okay, can you start recording now, Mark? (laughs) Okay. If if you place an earthly significance on your name, it could become a bit like a curse. If you place an earthly significance on your name, it could be a burden. But if you place a godly significance on your name, it can set you free, it can give you direction, it can become an integral part of your identity. What do I mean by earthly significance? Well, for example, in Ghana, um, if you went and visited the prisons in Ghana, you would see, if you did a bit of research, that they were full of people, most of whom were born on a Wednesday. It's true. Okay? If you had a graph of when people were born in Ghana, the prisoners that is, you would have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, a big spike, then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The reason for that is that when you're born in Ghana, you're, you're attributed a name according to the day of the week you're born on. If you're born on a Wednesday, your name is Kwaku. And Kwaku, according to kind of legend and, and folk tales in, in, in Western Africa, um, is, is a character that's like a kind of like a spider, half-spider, half-man. And Kwaku Anansi uh, is known for doing lots of naughty things, okay? So when children are born on a Wednesday, they're called Kwaku, and then parents, aunties, uncles, friends, teachers will say to the, the children, every time that a child born on a Wednesday called Kwaku is naughty, they'll say, well, that's typical, typical of you, you know, Kwaku, born on a Wednesday, naughty. Um, and they'll say that over the child. Guess what happens? The child starts believing that it's because they were born on a Wednesday. In other words, there's nothing they can do about it. And guess what then happens? They start behaving even worse because they're thinking, well, this is my life. This is the pattern that's been set. There's nothing I can do. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is an earthly significance to your name. That's not from God, and consequently, there are more people born on a Wednesday in Ghanaian prisons than any other day. Isn't that tragic? Yeah. That says something about the power of, of placing a, an ungodly significance on, on a name. Hmm. Something profound happened when our kids were born that we didn't, we had a list of names for them, a girl's, girls' names, boys' names. We couldn't decide what we wanted to call them until we met them. Until we met them, you know, even though they were just a wrinkly, kind of whining little creature, that sounds very unromantic, but, but even though they were just a little, a little baby, I believe they're called babies, <laughs> we knew what their name should be. Has anyone else experienced that? We knew, for example, a list of my favorite boys' names at the time, George. I loved George. Henry. I really liked Henry. Ivan. I really wanted a son called Ivan. I really wanted a son called Ivan. And yet, when all three of our boys were born, they just weren't an Ivan and they weren't a George. Isn't that strange, though? You know, I'd only met them for a couple of days, and I already knew what they weren't, and I also knew what they were. I think God had something to do with that. How else can i explain it if god had something to do with that then i also believe that god already knew my children before they were born even before they were conceived god knew them that's not to say he knew what they would become although he did i also believe that god knew them there and then in the present not just in the future so god knows god knows the spirit okay, of our children, and if he wants to attribute a name to that person he knows already, you know, wow, that's amazing, isn't it? And I think that's my, that's my only way of, of, of getting my head around how that works. You know, we knew Reuben was to be a Reuben, and, and that wasn't based on anything really other than just, just knowing. And when I know that I know that I know, usually that's from God. Is that your experience too? Is it? do respond at times. (laughs) How are we doing for time? Okay, five more minutes, then I'm going to get you to do something. Let's go back to name, rank, and serial number. So I've talked about name. Let me talk about rank. I know what my rank is in the kingdom. And I'm afraid to say, don't get jealous, but I'm way up there. I'm right at the top. I'm number one, okay? It's true, it's true. Some of you might be feeling, oh, I thought I was. Actually, you are, yes, you are. This is this profound thing, isn't it? That you are, you are, you are, you are, you are. We all are number one. We're at the right-hand side of Jesus, who's at the right-hand side of God, That's where we're placed in the kingdom. We are all number one. Again, bad maths, but really good to know, isn't it? Really good to know. So your rank, if you were ever interrogated and asked for your identity, you can say with all assurance, I am number one. I am right at the top. I've been ranked most highly by my Father God. What assurance is that? Your serial number. This is, this is amazing. The more I think about this, the more I'm blown away by this, that it's this idea of uniqueness, okay? There's, there's, there's two different types of uniqueness, okay? This is what I've been thinking anyway. There's the type of uniqueness, a bit like if you shuffled a pack of cards, all right? Mathematically, if I shuffled a pack of cards, um, it, it's more likely than not that the way that that pack of cards is shuffled has never been done before and never will be repeated. Isn't that true, Shola? Yeah, it's 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 maths basically. It's maths. All right. That combination, the order of those cards, is unique. But it's kind of it's it's unique just because of the time frame. You know, from from the the dawn of man to the end of the world, it will it's very unlikely that it will be repeated. So we could say that's that's unique. Okay. We are a different type of unique. You see, Jez, I'll use you for a great example of uniqueness, there's nobody else like Jez, is there? No. Is there, Nick? There's nobody else like Jazz, And that is not just because of Jazz's unique combination of nose, chin, hair, ears, eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly elongated thumbs. That it's not just because of the combination of parts, like a pack of cards shuffled in a certain way. You see, it's a bit like that game, Guess Who? Did you play Guess Who when you were little? You know, when you, you, you put the, um, the pictures of people down according to, you know, um, you say something like, ginger hair, and then, no, not ginger hair. And then you say, round glasses, no, it's not round. Gl- and you're trying to guess who is on the other side. And you eliminate people according to what they're not. That's not how God makes us unique. You see, Jez's unique combination of things, the individual parts of Jez, Jez are unique as well. So every hair on Jez's eyebrows, for example, is unique. Not just Jez's. She started Jez. Every hair on Jez's head is unique. Not just the number of hairs and the hairstyle, but every hair, every cell in Jez's body is unique. Do you see what I mean? So it's not just about combinations. We're not, God's not playing guess who when he makes us. He's not, oh, I haven't done a ginger with a goatee beard before. You know, I think I'll make one of those. That's not how God makes us and purposes us, okay? Uniqueness is unique within unique within unique. That's how unique you are. Do you see what I mean? There's a difference there, isn't there? So you're not just a clever combination of parts, Every cell in your body is distinctly unique. Every second, there are four more new, new, unique people born on this planet. Every second, four more. Just oh, there's four more. They're popping out all over the place. Every second, four (laughs) unique people, and it just keeps on happening. But they're unique. Eventually. It's not going to be that we'll get another Jez. You know, that's that's how God has purposed us. If he puts that much love and care into our creation, surely he puts that much love and care into our nurturing, into our upbringing, into his relationship with us. That's unique. That's unique. Only God can do that. So be assured that you're not a game of guess who. We're also unique in our spirits, okay? If it was just about our physicality, our uniqueness, actually that doesn't last, does it? I believe that God knows your unique spirit and loves your unique spirit. You know, Reuben's spirit that was around before Reuben was born and came to be. God knew that unique Reuben spirit, wow. Louis Isaac Brown, his name means laughing warrior. That's my interpretation anyway. Now, Louis has grown up, middle son, our most extrovert of, of children in a family of introverts. Um, very expressive, very emotional, very touchy-feely, he loves a hug. He's, he's unique in our family. Um, but I think laughing warrior is, is a name that really suits him. There have been times where he, he, he's got easily upset but i've known that that's part of his his uniqueness you know and i'm able to affirm to him that for example i wouldn't say i'll oh, just stop crying you know just stop crying actually his uniqueness is that he expresses himself really openly and really well and that's a lovely quality so you know through affirmation and assurance and love he has, he has been able to grow that into, well, now he is the most expressive of all of our children, the most, the most honest of all of our children, the most able to, to try something new. You know, he's, he's got this laughing warrior spirit, and that's his uniqueness. Isn't that lovely? Hmm. Okay. When we know who we are, this is what we're able to do. We're able to walk into our destiny in all its fullness. We're able to receive our unbelievable inheritance. And we're able to carry out good works for him and with him. We're able to do those things because we are starting to get in touch with how God sees us and how God has made us and how unique and distinct we are. When you know that, you're able to do those things. If you're struggling to to kind of do good works, in inverted commas, if you're struggling to to receive your unbelievable inheritance, it may be just because you're not entirely comfortable with, with who you are, you know, your identity. I'm saying that, actually, as an encouragement. I'm saying, don't worry, don't worry. Because God is longing to reveal more to you about who you are and how he sees you. It's an encouragement. So be encouraged. Hmm, okay. This is how we're going to finish. Where's Rachel Elliot Downing? There she is, taking furious notes on her iPad. Rachel, could you um, go and tinkle the...